Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and inner standing. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, namaste and satnam, friends. You know what satnam means, Jen? I don't. It means I am truth, otherwise known as I am truth. You can say it with a TH or you can say it with an F, whatever way you want to do it. Or it could actually otherwise be, I think it can also be translated as truth is my essence. Oh, yeah, I like you it. like that? So it's almost like, like the it. same thing as namaste. So if you see somebody walking down the street or you're saying hi to one of your chums, just be like, hey, satnam. All right. I like, I like it. that. Yeah. I learned that from Kundalini Yoga. And that's uh, kind of the basis of what we're going to be talking about today. And I actually had this thought before we get started, Jen. There's this thing, there's this form of breath work that they uh, teach a lot in Kundalini Yoga, which is breath mm-hmm. of fire. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking today. I feel like dogs just perpetually do that all the time. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. Explain. Cause, cause you know, when dogs get hot and they do the whole, <laughs> yeah, they're a lot more spiritually evolved than we think. Panting. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of benefits to it. Well, we, we call it panting, but that's yeah. just a concept, right? Maybe at the deepest sort of uh, level of that, they could be doing the breath of fire. They could have already actually had their aquarium one and two certifications of Kundalini yoga. We don't even I know. I mean, perhaps. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> We have a, a wonderful, actually, guest. Now that we're talking about Kundalini Yoga, this is uh, going to be a really exciting one because uh, I've been following Kundalini Yoga for a long time. We have a guest that's with us today that is really, really well versed in this uh, sort of modality. Her name is Ramona, and uh, Ramona she utilizes meditation and sound to raise the frequency of consciousness. I'm just going to read off her intro because it sounds cool. Uh, frequency of consciousness for the beginning and advanced meditator alike. Classically trained in piano. Her understanding of music theory gives way to a unique sound experience that's a balance of the linear and nonlinear. Before she became a yoga, before she became she became a yogi, Ramona owned an agency in New York City and lived a completely different life. Her ability to truly understand the many challenges associated with Western ways instills an honest understanding for the modern day yogi and spiritual seeker. She first found Kundalini Yoga in two thousand three. And uh, she started her, her teacher training in 2016. She actually trained alongside a gong master named Richard Brutus. And she's also certified in uh, many things, one of those being holographic sound healer. And uh, she studies also under the Dr. Paul Hubbard. She does a lot of, real, a lot of really amazing things, Jen. She's also awesome. brilliant uh, Reiki as well. What, I don't, what yeah. is a holographic sound healer? I've never heard of oh, that. We're going to get into that. Everybody, welcome right. Ramona Soriano. How are you doing, Ramona? Hi guys. Hi Eric. Hi Jen. Nice to see you guys. How are you today? Doing well. We're so happy to have you on. Happy to be here. Yeah. And where are you at in the world right now? You said you were uh, in Joshua Tree. I am in the Joshua Tree area. It's kind of a, I guess it's like a private property. I'm here off grid. So, but we do have um, internet that um, is accessible. I'm actually in a magic bus right now, as you can see. So usually I have like a mic set up and now I'm using these to to do what we're doing right now. But I'm here for many different reasons, mainly a spiritual journey, I guess you could say. And um, Source has led me here. And um, yeah, here to do the work and be of service. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. So when you say sources led you here, uh, where were you before? How did you get here? How did, tell us about this journey. And, and I want to kind of just tread off of what, what Jen was talking about, because I, I read your bio and um, your experience seems to contain a very contrasting polarity of lifestyle decisions. You went from a New York businesswoman to a spiritual teacher. Um, these stories are, I guess, some of the most compelling to me because that machine is very difficult to turn away from for many people. It you is. know, because you went from a very corporate type of lifestyle into a very spiritual type of lifestyle. And every now and again, you know, you have a, a Jedi or a sannyasi or a sadhu or whatever it is that you want to call it arises out of the wreckage of that machine. And it's, you're one of those people. So if you can talk about how you went from that uh, New York lifestyle to this one, that would be great. Yes, I'd, I'd love to share with you. Well, I guess my story began um, in New York in many ways. Um, I um, was running this little agency, this boutique agency representing commercial artists for, um, for advertising um, and for basically creative advertising. So I was basically the liaison between my talent and um, and also the client. Um, maybe it was like something like um, Pepto-Bismo was one of my clients. Um, Nike, Adidas, um, Marriott International. So I worked with a lot of big brands and um, just basically um, booked a lot of different creative um, projects with them. And it was very lucrative. It was very successful. There are moments where it wasn't. But during the whole time, I was just kind of attached to, I guess, playing the game. And I knew that there was something that was, wasn't authentic about my life choices at the time. Like, I mean, I did, you know, go to college. I um, lived in LA um, and then I moved overseas for a bit. And then when I was in New York, I just kept on following this path and of like success. And at the back of my head, I always knew that I was doing so because I was maybe programmed to or because it was expected um, from me, from my family. And I just realized that I was doing things um, mainly to satisfy others and some type of image maybe it's like the ego and it just didn't feel right and during the time that I was having I guess you can call an awakening what ended up happening was a lot of people on my dad's side of the family were passing away it started with my dad's brother and then about five months later it was uh, my dad's sister and then that that um and within like a three to four year period it was like I want to say five aunts, to my my um, uncle, my my dad, and a and um, a um, a niece that passed away. So it was like all in the same side of the family, not my mom's side. And I was just wondering what was going on. And like being in um, my thirties, um, like I, I was just thinking, well, for the most part, it's a blessing. Not that death is a blessing, but because. I hadn't have to deal with these many deaths while growing up. So it, it also gave me an understanding into empathy and whatnot. But things just started to change. So when I lost a lot of family members, um, and, you know, especially including my dad, I, I just started to question life a lot more. And that led me into Kundalini Yoga teacher training. That led me into just doing my everyday um, task um, at, in, my, in my agency and just wondering, like, am I wasting my time? Are these things really worth what I'm doing? And at the same time, um, like living in New York, it, it can get very busy. And so, you know, like buying like $15 shakes every day to go to my office to like go in a happy hour. It was like a completely different lifestyle. And 
I really love those moments and um, I still like kind of um, I guess you could say yearn and like miss miss them I part of me like also mourns for that life again in some ways but I just yeah. knew that there was something um, bigger and better for me so what ended up happening was um with my agency, it eventually went out of business. It was in business a lot longer than I thought. So I was um, operating for seven years and I thought with digital, I'd only operate for three years. So um, that was um, a blessing. But when it was, it came down to, um, to closing down my doors, um, I was like, okay, what do I do now? And then I, I got a job. Um, I was director of marketing for a digital agency for um, about a year and it just wasn't a good fit. And, and then I was like, what am I gonna do? And I, I, just, I was just like, what am I really chasing? So by the time I left New York, um, I made a few decisions because a couple things happened. Like after losing that job, I basically got fired and, um, and I got a few job offers and I'm just like, I don't want to do this. So what I ended up doing at the time was um, um, a lot of my friends that were like either like CEOs or like really busy, um, I started doing privates for them, like for free to train, to train with them. Cause I think I left New York, um, end of 2018. So it was like two years after my certificate of Kundalini yoga. And at that time when I was doing my certificate, I didn't think that I would ever become a teacher. I just thought I'd do it for fun. Right. Because I have my own career. And then I don't know, things just kept on falling apart. Like this world that I thought I needed to live in kept on like dissolving and the meaning behind it also kept on like fading away. Um, after my dad died, I know I'm going like back and forth, but he died in um, 2000, I want to say, no, 2015. And, um, and then I, got, I took the training. And at that same time, um, I was also doing like ayahuasca so I've done a few um, plant medicines and it just got me more clear in terms of like purpose. So um, in that time, I got um, I got married. I got divorced. <laughs> right. And then oh, I. Wow. Um, oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> some major life changes. Married, it's divorced. Like the ultimate dark night of the soul right yeah. there. Oh, yeah. And then um, decided I'm going to stop my career. Like um, and then I was like, I'm going to go back home to L.A. and teach yoga and um when I heard myself say it, it, like the head part of me, myself came in, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, that was like my, my self-talk. I was like, <laughs> am I crazy? Like, especially having an Asian family, I'm just like, they're all going to think I'm a complete loser. Like, you know, all these thoughts and insecurities <laughs> yeah. kept on like yeah. surfacing. And then, um, and I, I just went ahead with it. And I did have criticism from my family. And I do have moments that are imperfect. And I have moments where I, kind of like, you know, have like these sporadic outbursts. But when you go into a life that you're not used to, uh -oh. it takes time to adjust, if that makes sense. And um, I guess um, after a while, um, you know, I, then I started teaching right away um, at um, when I moved back home to LA. And then I was teaching maybe 11 classes a week. And um, I just made that commitment to myself that it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about um, anything but my purpose. And I really felt in my heart that I would be guided by source. That's the interesting thing about when you get into kundalini yoga, especially. I think when you like um, 
think about all the different types of yoga that there are, you know, like Hatha yoga and um, Bhakti yoga, devotional yoga. But it seems like Kundalini yoga has this sort of intensity that it sort of like perturbs in a lot of people. And you see that sort of reckoning, at least from my perspective, because I got into Kundalini yoga, you see that happen more often with with people that sort of venture into those realms. Because unlike maybe Hatha yoga, where you're doing preliminary like postures, if, I, I like to call it almost like the esoteric side of, of yoga because it goes so deep into, the, I guess, the deepest aspects of who you are. We wanted to get into, I guess, present tense, kind of where we're at right now, because there's a lot of uncertainty because of the pandemic. And the intensity of the collective experience became a very sort of potent catalyst for many people to go inwards and rediscover themselves. I'm talking about that sort of collective dark night of the soul that people are going through because of that sort of pandemic. And there's a number of ways in which people kind of do this is they, of course, they go at it alone and they can kind of sit with themselves. Um, But a lot of people also just do it with the assistance of yoga and, you know, just various different types of spiritual teachings and modalities. And then we have the practices like Kundalini Yoga. So where do you find yourself on the spectrum of of, uh, teaching Kundalini Yoga? And what is your your sort of um, your your response uh, with people that you teach, I guess, in the the realm of where we're at right now as a collective? That's a that's a really good question. Um, you know, um, first of all, Kundalini has gone through a lot of, um, I guess, um, scrutiny because um, the main teacher was um, has been exposed for, as you know, possibly yeah. for um, yeah, we know. sexual assault. Yes, we all know. <laughs> so I did take a <laughs> yeah. I did take a moment. Um, I took about like five months to step away from the practice and um, also kind of like redefine my relationship with it. But um also, at the same time, I, I came to realizations in terms of my own judgment and how I, I treat one another. And, my, um, and I just was like, you know what, this practice has worked for me for whatever reason. It's helped me through one of the darkest parts of my life. And without it, um, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. So I just I feel um, kind of a, um, I guess, a love for, for the practice. And and also, I, I just came to, into realization that everything has a dark side. If it's like, yeah. let's say, you know, like I, I live in a place that that basically does raw vegan. But if you're, um, I don't like, if you're a true vegan, would you get into an airplane and take a ride because, like, okay, fossil fuels, and then the seats are covered in leather? Like, I mean, you know, we can go. How far can we go before we think that that we're separate from the darkness because it's intertwined in our everyday life and. Um, I, I really believe, especially with those that um, have that responsibility to be, I guess you can say like leaders, like spiritual leaders, like you are more tempted with the darkness and to fall from grace. And that's something that we just have to realize about human nature. So it's not that I'm taking away from all the bad things he's done because there's some terrible things, but you know, we start to dissect every little thing in this world, every issue, and there's always a, a dark side, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do, sit in a room and like, not do shit, like be in a cave? So I really believe, um, to really answer your question, I really believe that um, Kundalini Yoga um, was meant to be exposed for the bad parts of it. Uh, because let's face it, now we have people that are fighting about politics about the vaccine about every little thing there's so much separatism that we really believe that you know our truth is our truth like you mentioned earlier satnam satnam that means truth is my identity and the more you dissect the truth the more you realize that it's not just a 
that person over there, they're a messed up person. It's a part of our the intricacies of our communities and how we've isolated others. And um, so I, I really feel that I really believe that, you know, kundalini yoga, it's not the end all be all, but it is a tool to help awaken consciousness. And right now, especially with all that's going on, like we're seeing, um, we're seeing the reality of the world in such real time because of technology. So we have to be prepared. Our nervous system needs to be prepared for, you know, how evil this world can get or the reality of people's darkness and even our own darkness and learn to kind of like embrace that. And that's what Kundalini brings to the surface. So I, I call it more of the the meditative yoga compared to something like Amhatha or like Bikram. And I really love all types of yoga. Like they all have something very special to it. It's an approach. It's just simply an angle. But with Kundalini, it works for me. And it works for me to be a tool to help others rise in consciousness and become more, um, I guess you can say, in touch with their truth, with that, that satnam, their, their, their sound current, also I call that the nod, um, with who they truly are. And it's about creating more space and allowing what is no longer in service to gently leave and then rising in consciousness. And also, like, not staying, you know, we, we're very much, I guess you can say, um, concerned about rising into that kundalini energy you know it starts from the root it goes straight up up through the chakras um, but you also have to bring that energy down because we're here on earth and we're participating in the western world so I really love to look at the balance of things and even from like an objective point of view and that's yeah. what yeah. kundalini yeah. has helped um, with is like not taking things so personal and also yeah. <laughs> um, right <laughs> and a lot <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's the, a big the, one. The one of, yeah, and, it is. and I wanted to actually talk about that that part where you were talking about because Yogi Yogi Bhajan and the 3HO Society obviously they got a lot of shit because of uh, that, that those should. stories that that came out those allegations and it's not anything that's that's different than you know what Osho had to go through with yep. Wild Wild Country and his whole mm -hmm. um, sort Bikram. of uh, yeah. community down there in Oregon when, uh, you know, uh, Sheila was helping him moderate that whole thing. That whole thing comes out. And I agree with you, those things need to come out. But the one thing that um, I think people really need to realize is that um, these people are human. It reminds me of this story that I heard a long time ago of this uh, student and this teacher. It's really, really quick. And the student walks in, sits at the feet of the master, and he says, he's like, master, like, why do I have to sit on the floor and you sit on the chair? And uh, the master just says, um, those that think there's a difference belong on the floor and those that don't sit in the chair. So yeah. we create all these different sort of uh, ideas and concepts in our mind of this hierarchy that exists. And we, idea we idealize these, these figures as being sort of, uh, you know, having the same sort of attributes as God, but we forget that they're human beings. Right. And that's the one thing that I tell people about Osho, about Yogi Bhajan, is that, you know, they may be further along the path, but they're still human. And exactly. it makes it a lot more relatable because you you can respect and honor the fact that they have flaws and that they also still have. And, and Osho also has a pretty dark past, you know, like in India. So I don't think the purpose is to um, ridicule these teachers, but just like you said, to take the wisdom that you can extract from these teachings and apply it to your own life. Because a lot of what those sages are trying to do is to get you to experience it for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And really 
it also puts into some type of perspective or maybe it is fantasy for me but what is written is all is for the most part like the best foot forward so I'm I'm also like speculative of um, past like gurus from like the, even the last two thousand years having these same temptations and having these same tendencies, um, but mm-hmm. there's a reason why they're able to have these followers, and I think that there is that necessity for like even narcissism when you are yeah. um, in in this kind of like stage of like being in like the center of attention because. Just like from like a like bi- biological point of view, like your brain needs to process certain chemicals to get a certain way and your personality and your environment is all intertwined into making you who you are. But for for you, to, like for someone to have the ability and the willingness to stand in a guru or like kind of like a, a healer state of mind that takes a certain that a, a certain amount of like narcissism. And I think that just realizing that is somewhat important and um, healthy ego, maybe you can say, but we are participating in the Western world. We're not, we're not in the jungles of the Amazon. We're not, you know, we're, we're, we're here for a reason and respecting that. However, the package comes is, is, is truly important from, you know, like the girl that wears no makeup to a lot of makeup to like, it's just like, there should never be this like whole, Oh, just because you're in like all white, you're a Kundalini teacher. Right. Like, I think that it's just respecting everyone for their their angle and their purpose and then how they show up. That's that's divine creation right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And it just trying to make it a sort of one pointed center of focus just seems to kind of I want to say limit the vastness of who God is like as a sound healer, because I know you're a sound healer. I used to wear black to all of my sound baths. And of course, if you're contrasting that with Kundalini Yoga, a lot of them were white and they have justifiable reasons for that. But everybody creates their own sort of reality around what that means. And I think the, the age that we're in, uh, the age of Aquarius, which is kind of taking matter, your spirituality into your own hands, you have this acceleration of wisdom and these sort of Eastern teachings circulating through the internet. So you have a lot of people that are diving headfirst into these you know, sacred practices that Back then, you had to sit at a feet of a master for 12 years in order to even get access to it. So there's a really large responsibility that people have. But one thing that I do see, and one thing that you actually talked about in your Instagram was um, a sort of Messiah complex that happens, but you were talking about in your IG, a spiritual sense of discernment, mm-hmm. right? Discernment basically meaning that like we, we, we can't put people in boxes. You can't say that this is, you know, because you're walking around with a cup of cacao in your hand that somehow you're more spiritually evolved than a mother that just has three kids that works a regular nine-to-five job. Spirituality is an all-encompassing sort of uh, a world that we should open up to everybody. And I think that's very humbling when you look at it that way because there are a lot of sort of what I would like to say sort of spiritual bypassers and people that take on that sort of narcissistic tendency when they come up on these spiritual teachings, you know. Yes, that that exists. And um, the fact that I notice it is also a reflection of myself. Like, first of all, so if if you're if you're going to notice something for being, I guess, like low vibrational, that means that, damn, I must have been there as well, to a certain extent. But, um, but yeah, like, I I realized that I actually took like a a couple months off of like posting because I, I just realized that, you know, sometimes it was done to kind of like toot my own horn or to um to come off a certain way and I wanted to be, get more in touch with nature and like really just like have like a digital detox to 
to see what I'm really saying and what my truth and my purpose is not based on what I see and what I'm influenced by. But it really did get like, Mm. kind of like dark for a second and, um, like to be real, but yeah, there is that, that discernment that, that is so important because, um, you know, especially the closer I get into this world and then like having to create, like, I I guess you can say a, a presence like online that made me feel, um, I don't know, I guess I I wasn't coming from an authentic place. So then um, I started to notice certain things that were being said that were put out by even like friends in my own community. And and I'm like, I don't know if that is the right way forward. I feel like there needs to be a way that encompasses all not that leads with judgment and with separation. And we see a lot of that in these communities, like spirituality has to be now like something that occurs in Malibu, like in like a I don't know, like with like um, with a set designer and then we have candles and we right. have all, you know, like all sorts of things going on. Like, no, I think that it can be at a nightclub where you're dancing on top of a table, like drinking tequila. I think that's um, a spiritual experience as well. Like, I mean, maybe yeah. it's not it's more sloppy, but it, it's just yeah. it's just that we've come to the state where it's trending to be spiritual. So you are going to see a lot of different variations of it. But sometimes it's like, does it always come with a sage bundle? Like, does it not? So I just, I'm like, I'm starting to just really look at that. Like the appearance of it has been branded now. And And I feel like that's not fair because then it puts a division between those that probably are curious and want an understanding and want to experience this. But they're like, I don't know. I don't like the smell of sage and I don't want to wear those clothes. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, do I have to wear all white? <laughs> you know, so. It's, it's funny that you bring this up. We've had other guests on. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the with the gem goddess, but um, she's also very beautiful. And she has, you know, gets her eyelashes done, has a full face of makeup, long yes, extensions, girl. beautiful hair. I mean, she's gorgeous, right? And um, and people would comment on her on her YouTube videos and say, oh, you don't look psychic. And we're like, well, what the hell does that, what does that mean? You know, um, that's when you think of a psychic, you're thinking of, you know, uh, I, I don't know, Crystal ball. Zoltar in a turban and, a turban. and you know, <laughs> yes. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So. What, what, like what you were talking about, um, this sort of, um, this almost like tinge of narcissism, it almost seems hardwired into that sort of spiritual journey because it starts in an innocent way, at least from my experience, because you touch on something very very unbelievable and phenomenal, right? Like you get a tinge of source, whether or not it's through plant medicine or whether or not it's through meditation, and there's an impulse in you to want to share it with other people. But one thing that we don't realize about these teachings is directly we start coming from ego in order to translate something very sort of uh, eternal and something very all-encompassing, and it kind of gets distorted. And I think at some point we start, we, we, we check ourselves and we realize, okay, well, this is, a, this is a sort of inward revolution. It doesn't have to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the ego has right. this tendency of taking one thing and wanting to um, spin it into something else. And I might like to make this, com- this comparison, which is, you know, there are people that try and do yoga all day long and they sort of, they, 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 they save it for maybe every Tuesday and they only do it during a certain period of time. I'm talking about meditation. But then when you listen to teachings uh, like Eastern Masters, like Sriramana Maharshi or H.T.B.L. Punja, they're talking about every waking period of your life should be meditation. But it's a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp because they're used to uh, some sort of practice. Like they have to, the ego needs a practice to implement into action. But the one thing I realize is that 
yeah, but they don't realize is that awareness is always present, only you somehow take yourself out of that state. So you can never not be in meditation. So that's the, the sort of contrast, which is like the ego needs a process, but awareness can't be really taught because it's something that you are. And I think that when people start on their journey in a very innocent way, they want to make it their own, you know? And then, you know, and it's almost like that sort of, that game needs to unfold, you know? That game that, does that sort need of thing unfold. needs to happen. Yeah, that game definitely needs to unfold. And I believe it is unfolding. Like we're having this conversation right now. So it's also um, being in the present moment and realizing the beauty and all. And that's a meditation um, itself. And I love that you bring this up. Like one, um, one quote that I always remember, it's from the Soul Cycle teacher. I think her name was, I don't remember right now, but she said, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I'm like, that's a, that's a meditation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And she, yeah. That's a meditation, but it's like okay. So you make your bed. You half-ass make it. Right. You're like, oh, I'm just gonna yeah. like rake right now. I'm just gonna kind of do it, but I won't do that section. <laughs> my my, you know, my clothes. Oh, you take your like your stuff to the laundry, and then like something drops. You're like, oh, I'll just put that in the next load. You know, like things like that. <laughs> like how you do one thing is yeah. how you do everything. So, um, and I, I do say to my students that after you leave the class, that's yoga your everyday life, like how, how you um, treat one another, your thoughts. Like I, I realized like pretty much recently because I've had so much change happen in such a short period of time, but I realized um, recently that my inner dialogue is like talking a lot of shit to myself. Like it's like, what the fuck are you thinking? Why are you saying that? Like, no, 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 don't do that. Are you gonna fucking wear that? Are you serious? Like, I'm like, why is it so like, I'm cussing in my head to myself and it's yeah. like, it's like in, I'm insulting myself and I'm like, where do I get this? And I realize that a lot of it's culture and it's like upbringing and it's, right. I don't know, my love for rap music. And it's like a lot of like <laughs> other things. Like it's like, I'm like, I need to stop doing that. I need to stop doing that. Yeah. And that became also like a, a, a yoga practice. Like that's a meditation. So really um, like the one thing about Kundalini, it does come with like, it do does come with a, um, with humanology, which is what Yogi Bhajan called it. It's like his own version of like, I guess you could say psychology of like, we start our classes for the most part, like maybe talking about like astrology, about world issues, about relationships, like whatever the intention is um, for the class. And then we go into a practice, which is, um, a, we have a Kriya that is, um, there's Kriyas for, like for manifestation, there is a Kriya for, I don't know, for... Like the Kirtan Kira? Yeah, there's a the, lot of the them. The There's 10,000 mm -hmm. Kriyas. So every yeah. Kundalini teacher, for the most part, if it is by way of Yogi Bhajan, they're teaching um, with a book. Um, so that way, um, each part that is in each asana is done... Um, from one to the next to create that purpose, that intention, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of, <clears throat> there's a lot about it that is like, that is very precious, right? The process of it. So it is like a very powerful, I guess you could say classroom. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I guess it's like, in one way, it's very powerful. And then the other part that I realized, I don't know what I'm, why I got into this. Should I still talk about this? You asked a different question. <laughs> <laughs> No, just, yeah, just flow. Yeah, Whatever's, whatever comes to you. I did want to bring up, because you were talking about a little, a few, a few minutes ago about the sides that we have, right? 
And I know exactly what you're talking about, because the deeper we go into this sort of spiritual journey, we just somehow assume that we're just going to annihilate the ego and it's just never going to come back. <laughs> but, you know, the one thing yeah. about the ego is it's, me and Jen talk about this all the time, it's that one force that you absolutely have to collaborate with, because just like what Alan Watts says, like thinking that you could destroy the ego is the biggest ego trip there is, <laughs> right? So the whole, point, the whole point isn't to completely eradicate yep. the ego, but to understand balance and that's something that you were talking a lot about which was balance i mean and basically that i think that represents itself as just accepting the fact that you have these sort of cultural sides oh yeah mm -hmm. absolutely and yeah. that you they're 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 also your ability to navigate and ground into this sort of society that we're in that that rap music that hip-hop music that black metal music whatever it is that you listen to is your conduit to teach your your message mm -hmm. and that's the one thing that i'm a really huge advocate of because I like to keep one foot in, you know, eternity and one foot on the ground because I think people deserve that. Because that's one thing when you're, when I go, when and you may actually experience this, but when I used to do sound baths, I used to see the same people in the community there every single time, and that's a great thing. But if the if the goal is to reach to a much broader audience, to people that aren't familiar with this, then you need to speak their language to some extent, and you need to ground you know, your message into a very practical way that they can understand it. And my whole goal isn't to create polarity and saying this is spiritual and this isn't, but to uh, teach practical ways in which they could, you know, follow the teachings of Kundalini Yoga or yes. Hatha Yoga or any level of like meditation or spirituality in a practical way. Because that's that's really what it is, right? Like this, this whole, this whole, you know, being present is very mm. simple. It's very practical, but we like to make it very complicated. It's so, so practical. I think it's important. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. it's so important to be grounded and, yes. and, and accept the fact that we have these sort of, I guess, seemingly dark sort of Mara sides to us, you know? Yes. Yeah. And all those little, all those little things about your personality are what make you you, right? And what attracts people, like Eric was saying, that may not be in the community. So that's, that's where they find a common ground with you and where you become relatable. So I think that's really really important. It, it so does question, help. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I had a question about your awakening specifically. Um, you know, just hearing about your story and hearing you being a businesswoman in New York, then coming to, coming to LA, getting, getting married, getting divorced. And, you know, now you're out on the sabbatical in Joshua tree. Yes. Um, so you kind of hear that a lot, you know, whenever you hear about someone having a Kundalini awakening, it's not like a regular awakening. Um, it's a total shift in, in the way that you live your life. So is that, was it a Kundalini awakening that brought you to the place that you're at now? Or was this more of a slow burn? Was this more like a, a regular awakening that kind of evolved into something different? I believe it was um, a combination of events and I would call them like mini awakenings that were happening throughout the process. So especially with like, I would probably attend like maybe three, four classes um, a week when I was in New York before I got my certification. And each class, it would just be like this like little nugget that was planted, but I always felt more clear coming out of it. And then also it was a combination of, of the classes. And I mean, I don't really recommend this to anyone, but I was, um, I probably did a total of seven ayahuasca um, ceremonies one, when I was um, my, in my whole life, but they were all done in New York. And those experiences um, led me to just become more clear with my purpose and 
Um, and I just like kept on seeing myself like getting out of, out of, out of, um, I guess that like everyday life, but I was like, how is this going to happen? How am I going to make this work? But it was like sporadic, um, awakenings, but I did have, um, I did have a big one in Anaya, and then I had another big one during a sound healing. Oh, wow. So what happened? So in Aya, um, what ended up happening was, well, first, like, um, um, I was attracted to the medicine, um, and I didn't really know why. At the time, I didn't do any psychedelics. I probably just smoked a little bit of weed, and that was it. So I was very scared. Um, so ayahuasca was my first psychedelic and oh, wow. Oh, wow. yeah, it was my first psychedelic. <laughs> That's intense. You took the back door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I was on my third year of business on my own. It was in New York. I was doing pretty well and I, um, just felt like something was missing and I couldn't really figure it out. And then, um, was talking with a friend and an acquaintance and he said that he was going to be doing the ceremony and, I was like, I would like to partake in it. And um, he um, had me interview with somebody um, that allowed me into the circle. And they flew a um, they flew in a shaman from from Peru. And it was um, done with like such gracefulness and style. Um, it was a small ceremony. It was, um, I think, like only like 15 people. And like it was 150 bucks. And it was just like it was just so heart centered and. Um, basically during that ceremony, I realized like, I, I, um, first it's like the first time like tripping out, I guess you could say, like I was like seeing psychedelic things. I'm like, oh wow, this is fun. What did I miss out in high school? But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) um, but like to be real, um, I got to this point where my heart started to shift because I, I started to think, stop thinking about me and start thinking about we, start thinking about us. And I started to look at the world as like more of a collective rather from, than just from my own b- viewpoint. So that was like one of the biggest gifts that the medicine gave me was, um, I guess, like more empathy than I could even imagine. Like I, I really get into these states where even like the worst person possible, I'm like, what, what got him to be that way? So yeah, I uh, was, um, my first experience with it was, was definitely profound. And then throughout the process, like I would sit with the medicine either every six months or every year um, um, until I left New York. And New York was the last time I, I did the medicine. And um, actually I got divorced in New York and then before it was like maybe like six months before I left, I did a, 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 um, a, um, a circle and I just like purged like my ex-husband and I purged everything that was like dark about myself and just like these, like really, I guess like anything that I was like holding on to, they say it's like doing therapy for like years. And I think it was true because I was able to let go of a lot of, um, what I, I was not no longer in alignment. Like he was a beautiful person and, um, you know, we, um, we got along really well, but it just, it didn't work out for whatever reason, but, um, to purge that in the amount of time that I did, I, I can't, I was just like kind of on this like path. And then I was shown at, um, in that same ceremony, um, a vision of myself, like in, um, white, but like, um, probably like 65 and I was teaching like a lot of people and I was like that's cool that's interesting so from there that was I think about like a few months after that maybe four months after that I began to teach um and like and um like basically have privates with my friends um in the city and that was around the same time that um 
I got fired from that job. And then I was like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> so it, it all kind of like flowed into this, like, not only was it like an awakening at a moment, but it was also life was life was just like, pushing things aside that weren't going to be in, um, in alignment with my purpose. So that's mm -hmm. yeah. basically what was happening. So, um, yeah, from the job to the ex to like packing my things to like leaving to saying no to a few job offers to like, yeah, that was like that whole self was just an awakening. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but it did happen. Yeah, once in a, a I guess that one, a few times in the Aya, and then one of my friends, um, we did a winter solstice um, ceremony. I think it was the end of 2018, and this was when I was like, I'm doing a lot of workshops and um, like collaborations with like different um, friends that all, also became healers. It's like I don't know, it all just happened together, and um, it's my friend Janelle, and she has a really amazing, she's an amazing sound healer, and she um, has a, an incredible story. Um, but basically during when she was playing the sound baths, like I, I started to feel physically like a, a sensation from my lower chakras, like just like change. And it was like coming up through my body and it was just like rising. And then, um, and then I started to have, um, to have, um, visions of like, I don't know if it's another lifetime, a memory or whatever it is, but I had visions of myself, um, in like, um, in like ancient, I want to say it was Egypt. And then, and then there were, um, there was like this, like this, like voice that was talking to me that was saying like, you're, you're meant to be here now. Um, and like something about like, um, protecting, um, like my, I don't know my, who I am until this moment right now. Like there's like, there's a lot that's supposed to be happening and I'm supposed to help others heal and raise their consciousness and a lot of the people that are around you right now are part of that journey so there were there's like a couple of sound healers that were in the room and um the owner of the studio as well and then i just like started to really feel that connection of like the necessity of like creating this new community and that was all through a sound the sound bath it was yeah. incredible and how did that come through as an experience like where were you hearing voices so you you saw a vision I saw visions, That's yeah, correct, yeah, and it was okay. through the the sound bowls, like the way she was playing it and the way she was toning. Uh -huh. It it felt like my DNA was getting activated, and I could physically feel. I haven't had this experience since then, but I could physically feel like my lower chakras just like kind of like feeling like they're on fire, and then the energy uh -huh. just rising, rising, rising. And I was like, I was almost like kind of like. Um, I was lying down at the at, at the time, and I could and my and I was like you know like kind of um, almost like a um, and I I don't have like epilepsy or anything, but I was shaking. I was definitely yeah. shaking. I was like, whoa, what is going on? But it felt like a a feeling that was rising, like some type of like yeah. sensation, and um, yeah. it was what, amazing. What I think that what it, what that reminds me of, and you can probably. Um, uh, reflect on this, but that that sounds like a Kundalini awakening, right? Yeah. Because yeah. You're, yeah. you're feeling that energy coming from the root chakra, the base of your spine. So you have that sort of serpent force that, and sound is a really really great catalyst for that. Yes. You know, and I know exactly what you're talking about because my story is almost very similar to yours as a sound healer because mm -hmm. I've always sort of been very clear audience, and I always experienced a lot of sort of mystical states through sound. 
And um, I go through that just on and off throughout my life. And it, it's a super powerful sort of energy. And one thing you mentioned was, was Egypt. And uh, the one thing that I think of is like Hathers because they, they worked really, really, really closely with, with sound. Did you have any affinity with Hathers in Egypt? Did anybody ever tell you that before? Uh, I never did until, um, until I guess recently, but I haven't really gotten into it, but I'd love to, yeah. I'd love to hear more, but there's definitely, yeah. um, I don't, I don't know. It felt like there was, um, I don't, I don't know if it was like, it was just like these voices, like you're meant to be here. And then that you, your soul traveled from like another system yeah. into Egypt. Mm-hmm. And then part of your soul was like hidden for the last couple thousand years, like in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And then somehow yeah. like it came through in Canada where I was born and then you're here. And I'm like, okay, like I don't really understand it. I just trust it. And I didn't really go into it. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like I've never, and after that, like that was probably like when I, when I would do sound healings with a couple of these healers, um, I'd have very kind of like, um, light, um, visions of, um, these like past lives with them. And then also a few of them have, um, cause one of them is a, um, Akashic sound healer and she also Ooh. reads like Akasha. And then the other one, he's, um, he, he definitely had like lives in like ancient Egypt and he's just like, every time you'd come over me, like for, cause he, we had these, um, we had these like monthly workshops. He's like, every time you come over me and I do some Reiki over him. Um, yeah. and then he, um, and then he's just like, I had this vision of you, um, teaching, to, um, in like an ancient time to like a lot of like people, um, and it, it's just like, he's like, but I was there too. And I was next to you. Like I was like side by side with you. So there's yeah. like just wow. something there. Like, and, um, and, and the um, other healer, um, I'd love to introduce you to her as well. She um, definitely has like these memories. So there's like, yeah. there's just like something there. And I never had that before with anyone else. And funny enough, yeah, one of those, cool. he, one of the healers, um, like I kind of like grew up with her. Like we used to like go clubbing together back in the day and like, <laughs> uh, like how yeah. like the same like frightened group. And then, um, you know, we, we, we separated ways. I went to New York and then I came back to LA. And then when I came back, like I hit her up right away. And then it was just like, kind of like somehow meant to be. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's but- interesting how like plant medicine has the ability to just give you a, a perspective that most people obviously have trouble with in their regular everyday life. And Terrence McKenna had a talk um, that I heard a while back where he talks about like culture being an operating system. And the simplest way that I can put this is that, you know, you have a computer with a hard drive and somehow these plant medicines are able to erase the disk to some extent and allow you to start over from a very sort of like, you know, seemingly archaic sort of uh, perspective, which is probably just the basis of awareness. And and I wanted to ask you this question because I know a lot of people that have gone down that path and it, as much as it is a blissful experience, you get a lot of wisdom from it. It's also like this wrecking ball that goes through your life, eliminating a lot of, I want to say illusion or untruths or things that you think are good for you. And it's not always a pretty process. So there are some people that will just completely decide to up and leave their, you know, 3D life and just yeah. head to the mountains and, and, you know, sell off all their things. And maybe that's their journey. But was it hard for you to integrate after having that experience with Aya back into the 3D? You know, um, where we did the Aya, it was like in a kind of like a yoga studio situation with like no windows. 
And then, um, and then afterwards, like in the morning, you get up, you dance. Um, it was just like such a beautiful celebration. It's like about 15 people. And then you get out, um, you go, I, so where, where we were practicing, it was, um, where we were gathering, excuse me, it was in the Flatiron District. So um, I get, take the elevator down and then I come out and it would just be the city. So I had no choice but to integrate. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Like yeah. right after doing I I'm not I'm not in a jungle, right? I'm I'm in New York oh, yeah. City. And and then that itself was like kind of a beautiful spiritual experience. I'm like, okay, well, for some reason the medicine traveled here. So I'm gonna trust that it's here to um to heal part of like New York and to and that and that it's its own entity in some way. So no, it not necessarily it was hard, but maybe like a couple days, like I needed to rest, but I was like back to doing what I had to do. And that's how I feel like um, for my, my, my um, purpose, it, it was meant for me to integrate the Western world. And it wasn't meant for me to start in, you know, in like the Amazon, in Peru. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was a huge part of my journey. And, and some people will argue with me, no, it needs to happen in the jungle. And I'm right. like, well, no, it yeah. came here. So right. why not? Yeah. You know, why not take advantage yeah. of that? And why not Why not w- how, allow the medicine to work through New York City? Why should it not? Yeah. And where They're it like needs those, it the most, right? Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. It, there's like those, those same people that say like, you know, in order to awaken the Kundalini inside of you, you need to, a, a, a guru to help you with that. Mm, We're no. living in a much more evolved <laughs> time now, right? Where we, we have the ability to, to take accountability, a large, large amount of accountability for our own sort of personal sovereignty. And that involves, you know, of course, being responsible with it. But um, the one thing that you mentioned, like, okay, uh, balance, I think is, is really, really important. I think the role of a healer is to be in these sort of densely populated communities where a lot of oppression and a lot of uh, sadness and, 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 and struggle exists, you know, like it, it's not always practical for somebody to be in, you know, the beautiful mountains of Peru, you know, and I always think that like um, being able to be amongst sort of like the wreckage and help sort of rebuild it, I think is a lot more powerful and it's not for everybody, but I, I think um, being able to integrate that into the society in which we live, I think is really important. I remember this talk that I saw at Lightning in a Bottle, and I think I may have been with you, Jen, um, where uh, there was a panel of people, a panel of um, shamans, and a person walked up and was like, I'm having all this trouble integrating my experience because I spent you know, uh, two weeks in, in Peru uh, doing ayahuasca, and did it like seven times, and I came back, and I'm just completely falling apart. I don't know how to reintegrate into society. And one of the shamans just looked at him, and he's like, you know what you need? Sometimes in order to ground, all you need is just a nice, juicy cheeseburger. <laughs> that's right. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot you about that. that. Yes, I do. Yeah. Wow. That's- because they were hoping that he would say some real profound sort of right. shaman shit. Yeah. But he was and just like, like, look, no. you have to... It's not about completely removing yourself from the 3D. It's about like reintegrating and finding balance. And all that sort of thing is about balance, you know? Absolutely. So I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned, um, you mentioned Akashic sound healing and also the, uh, the hologram sound healing. I've never heard of either of those. So what is that? So it's um this, there's this incredible sound healer um Dr. Paul Hubbard and um 
he has this method called holographic sound healing and it's based on um kind of like some i guess you could say like egyptian like um alchemic um reasoning but you you basically use um like the sound bowls uh and also your voice as a way to um to open up consciousness so it was like a two-day training and um i use a little bit of his method um and especially because i i don't think i could sing very well but he um he has um he teaches you like certain methods to just really um not only work with like holographic like light um as like a it's it's basically the flower of life and um as a as a visionary component to the sound so you can imagine this light in possibly like your heart you can give people this light you can imagine it in every single being and every um entity um in objects whatnot you can create like millions of them within one space because you're dealing with the the flower of life so a lot of it's like visionary and it's also working with um crystal bowls and um the ability to really connect not not only vocally but also from a space that is um very intuitive um so um it's a it's a beautiful practice so working with that um and i mentioned that one of my good friends she is an akashic sound healer so she opens up your records with sound whoa that's cool so yeah. but someone's not reading them for you are you receiving those messages yourself um, she, so reads she's them, she reads them for you. Oh, she reads them. For, so this is like a one-on-one -on -one thing. Yeah. It's not like a group thing. Oh, whoa. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty damn cool. So, yeah. um, so, yeah, so sound as a whole, like it's becoming not only just like a, a, a modality for, for healing, but it's also, I, I feel like an undervalued way of like communicating with others because, you know, I can say the perfect words, but um, with sound, you can't really lie about it because you can hear someone's like essence, like mm -hmm. not, not just their voice, like their voice, but you can hear, or you could even feel it in like the vibration. If it's like tuned to like that right frequency of like truth, or if it's like off somehow. So that's yeah. like what, um, these modalities have have shown me and even um i play very intuitively like i did mention um that i do have a music um background in in piano but that allowed me to read notes that allowed me to be very technical with sound and i i, I probably took lessons for about um i want to say maybe 10 or 10 to 12 years and it was um but i never could play like intuitively on my own like I can never like just like hear music and just start playing it. And some people have that ability, um, but it wasn't the way I was trained. So I, I kind of was like a little bit disconnected from my own um, practice of like playing the piano. And then when I picked up um, sound healing, um, it, it opened up something that was not only was I able to utilize my understanding of music theory, but also take it to a place of like letting go. And just like yeah. listening and feeling the sound. Yeah. So I feel like that That's is a huge part of um, my practice. And I learned that through Kundalini Yoga. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about mantras too, right? Exactly. Is that, of a mantra. Um, it, it, you're just, you're just, you, even just doing seed syllables, you're hearing these frequencies of sound that, that can't be distorted through sort of conceptual frameworks. 
And that's the one thing that I really love about sound is just like you said, is that words can get mixed up and everybody has their own perspective and definition of whatever words that you use. But sound is just such as like this universal language that can't be misunderstood. It can only be experienced. So it's like the ultimate teaching in and of itself, you know, which is like you can talk about sound, but there's nothing like actually being there. And this is another thing about sound baths, and you can probably kind of vouch for this too, is that like these are people that are coming into your class, they're putting themselves into probably the most vulnerable position because the only people that go on their backs uh, are ones that are going to sleep, you know? And so we're in this space collectively with a group of people in this position of sleep. And as much as the sound is just sort of a driving force of this, you're also experiencing this, this sort of unity and this call for unity amongst the people. And it's a really humbling, really humbling sort of experience to, to be in that. It really is. And yes, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was I was just gonna make a kind of a cheeky comment because every time I go to a sound bath, I don't know why I'm always so damn tired. But I feel like I fall asleep every single time, and I'll and I'll wake up. You know, I'll have like that falling feeling. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I'll wake up, and I'm like, man, I hope I wasn't snoring. But <laughs> anyway, <You're laughs> there's that always person, that one Jen. person. Yeah, there's always that one person in the class. It's like. <sighs> You know, the, you know, the funny thing about those classes is like at the beginning, we always say, okay, if your partner or person next to you starts snoring, you have permission to nudge, but everybody's just so nice. They don't do it. Yeah. yeah. You so know what? I actually <laughs> so encourage true. it. I'm like, you know, if they're snoring, that's part of the practice. So allow yeah. them the rest. And then um, the last overnight sound bath I did, which was like right before the, the pandemic hit. Um, so we... Um, there was this there was this girl that was sitting next to another girl and they both didn't know each other and they were both lying down like you know i guess two feet apart not covid compliant <laughs> but anyway yeah. um and one of them started to snore and then the other one was like kind of like oh, oh you know like just like really upset about it and yeah. then <laughs> like oh. <laughs> and then like, she fell asleep snore? and then she was snoring <laughs> Oh. You're like, see, that's what you get for acting yeah, bitchy. See, yeah. <laughs> all you can do is really laugh because it, it makes can you, you realize do? that, like, yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like you know, snoring is is part of it. I, I've been guilty of, of of snoring as well, and there are some facilitators that get upset when it happens. But like, what can you really do if people are that relaxed? Right. Let them relax and. I mean, let them snore, maybe have it. And then, and then I start to like, you know, p- make the gong, like kind of go with their snore. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, but then it becomes like a, a fun experience. Um, but, you know, like we, we are also easily irritable about snoring. Like how, why? Like yeah. That's, like that's when you listen to like some of these, uh, like Muji, for example, like you listen to his talks and he's in the middle of like, Rishikesh, India, and you hear like horns in the background, you hear a baby crying, and he's completely unaffected (laughs) by it. Yeah. Because it's a part of their culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, it's like you could also look at that as its own sort of spiritual teaching. Like, why is it that that creates an issue for you? And that's so true because um, at our studio in in New York, I was at Golden Bridge Yoga, and it's um it's in the middle of Soho. We're about um either no usually two two um floors above everyone, and then it's a busy street, and you hear like people yelling, screaming, honking. And in the beginning, it used to bother me, and then I realized that that's part of the yoga too. Mm-hmm. Those are all those sounds, yeah. and and that's that's okay. Like it's okay, and then yeah. allow it to quiet. Not why is why am I allowing my attention to make this an irritable experience? That's my responsibility. It's not what I'm going to do. Go outside and be like, "Hey, I'm doing yoga. Fuck off!" Like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Shut what? up! 
Shut What's the fuck the up. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah. You so. know, the, the, my whole sort of like adventure into sound healing, it really changed my relationship to just the, the frequency of sound. And I even find myself listening to music that doesn't have words. And you um, do listen to a lot of music that doesn't have words. Yeah, it doesn't have words. And I, yeah. I, I'm just more, you know, I, 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 I don't want to over identify with somebody else's story, which I feel mm-hmm. like people do. And it's not, that's not to say, that's not to say that words, music with words is bad. But I, I like the, the rawness of the sound. And the one thing I wanted to bring up is that the more I do these sound baths, the more I actually start to, to experience sound as motion. It's motion. It's like audible motion. And it's not like yeah. I'm even creating the sound. It like already exists mm-hmm. in the space, but you're creating the conditions for it to actually manifest. And mm-hmm. there's no beginning to it and there's no end to it. It's just something that is, is, is eternally always present, but you create with enough love and compassion and beauty, you can manifest that through an intentional sort of love into being, you know? I agree with that. I think that's yeah. why many people see like sac- sacred geometry or... Um, I do. Yes, because it already yeah. exists. Yeah, yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's really interesting. One of our... One of, uh, Eric and I have a mutual friend. Her name's Rose and she plays gong as well. She has a symphonic gong and um, I've... I've this was my first time ever hearing a symphonic gong. Um, all of the gongs I've heard, you know, over the years have been planetary. So it just sounds so different. It's so chimey and has, I don't know, it just sounds so different. And um, we were out in Joshua Tree for um, for New Year's and she was playing for us. And I could see like the, sac- the sacred geometry like coming off of the gong, like in the sound waves. It was just, it was so beautiful, so incredible. But yeah. And yeah. in the same way, you remember when me, me and Jen, we went to Joshua Tree a while back and we had our friend Nancy and she was also a oh, classically yeah. trained sort of a gong player and she has mm-hmm. a moon gong. I have a sun gong. And the way that she approached it is as if sort of like this gong was its own sort of force, like its mm-hmm. own sort of like primordial force and you have to respect it. And there was a certain point where she was playing this gong where she was being filled with all of these different emotions and some of it were good, and sometimes she'd cry, and sometimes she'd feel happiness, and she was just became this conduit of energy that was coming off from this gong. And it's so, it's such a, a mysterious thing because you can't exactly put your finger on why gongs are so uh, just powerful. But when you're mm-hmm. in front of a gong, you 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 know what I'm talking about. When you're in front of it, you can't help but feel that you're. Uh, amongst something very very sacred you know like amongst yeah. the presence of like royalty it feels like and there is a sacredness yeah. to to that instrument itself like it it has um a res- resonance that really vibrates throughout your soul like you can just kind of feel it coming in through your body and then like mm-hmm. the way it cycles in and out it's like i feel like it, it is like that that um infinity like it, it flows and it becomes a part of you and then it's like moving your hands and then and then it's moving your breath and then i also found that breathing into it while you're playing like gives it uh, kind of like this like that life force and, it, and it's just it's such a, an incredible experience to also understand the subtleties of it like yeah yeah, like some people they play yeah and and that's okay and how it yeah and how it how it hits like different organs and different areas of your body where you um for me uh eric has uh, an earth gong too and he played the earth gong at our at our house one time and um it was just tearing up my stomach like I thought I was going to shit myself I was like oh my god I got to get out of here you know um so it's really interesting how how sound can affect like 
just every affect you on such a cellular level. Yeah, even down to like seed syllables. Like when people think of ohm, uh, when you're like really, really coming from your diaphragm, it actually starts at the base where at your root, like the ohm, and then it comes up and it kind of just does this little thing where it goes all the way up to your your thousand petaled lotus. It's crazy how like these sounds penetrate different different areas of the body, you know. Yes, I, I will admit too when I first um, started my training with in Kundalini. Um, my teacher was like, okay, you have to um, chant like from a certain place. And I was like, well, I don't really sing well. They're like, we'll talk after. And then we never <laughs> talked. That didn't happen. I just continued the, the training, right? But yeah, um, yeah. eventually it got to this place where my voice changed. So I used to have oh, more of like a high-pitched voice. Yeah. And so the training, I, I think it's also like the subtleness of like listening to mantra and also having a daily like mantra um, like embedded in our practice. Like we were like required to do something for 40 days for like 11 minutes for 31 minutes. And um, mm -hmm. so that allowed me to like go through the cycles of like listening to a mantra and being like, oh my gosh, this is boring. What am I doing? I have better things to do to, to starting to listen to how I sound and then to my relationship to the words to eventually just like this shift in not only my relationship with sound but my understanding of not only myself but of others and of the world around me and like it's just like sound does that it really does and yeah. the mantra like yeah. i highly recommend anyone that's like um you know like doing music like creating music or like um you know like attending drum circles to have like a daily mantra that you do for yeah. like three to eleven minutes because um if you don't understand your own sound current how can you listen to you know, your instrument yeah. as you're playing it. So yeah, we're not One all as blessed I... as Eric. He has a magical, beautiful voice. So oh, <laughs> of course he's Filipino. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he sounds like a little angel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Cause I, I also, I channel light language while I'm playing the bowls yes. and when I hear the gong. And we can connect and I'll, I'll let you know about that. But one thing that you mentioned with Kundalini Yoga is I know they typically do the Adgadidame, Jugadgadidame, Sagadidame, Jidigadidame, like that while you're playing the gong. Did you start doing that? And if you did, did that change the way that you sort of approached your gong playing? Or did you just decide on, you know, uh, for like a, a different mantra while you were playing or maybe just no mantras at all? Um, it, it's really what comes up. Sometimes I, I, I do breathe in some mantra. Um, sometimes I'm just, I just intuitively play. Sometimes, mm. um, yeah, it's not really... It really depends, like, if it's, like, maybe a certain type of full moon and I feel compelled, like, I, I kind of sit there, like, I'm I, with source, like, I have these conversations. I'm, like, what feels right? And then sometimes, like, a mantra will come up to my head, and that will be one that um, I will implement into the sound healing. And sometimes yeah. it, it's just, like, silent. Like, it's, like, you can think it, but don't speak it, but play it. So there's yeah. sometimes that, that, that comes through. Um, but it's also listening to the, the vibration of the people that I'm with. Like if it's like, um, cause they all have like their own, you know, even if you talk to them beforehand, you can kind of get a sense of, you know, if I'm playing from one, one type of frequency to the next, like what, what they really need. So it's like, I, I listen to them prior to like our sound baths and, to get yeah. a sense of which direction to go. So it's a That's the beautiful thing about like sound baths that I know is that like um, it's one of those practices where 
you're also a recipient of it, even though you're facilitating Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. like even while I'm even while I'm playing the bowls, and you have some people kind of in the in in your class that are going through various different types of emotions, I find myself sometimes coming to tears, or I feel anger come up, like all these different emotions. It doesn't stop. And so it's good that um, I look at it very much the same way as you, which is like it's a collective sort of movement. Like you're seeing the whole room as one sort of energy. and You kind of have to move with it. Yes, it's um, it is like an energy like it's ongoing and it's really feeling out the whole room. And and, um, you know, when somebody like let's say they they clear their throat or they they sneeze like. I, I take that into consideration with the whole experience or if they kind of like move a certain way, they move their shoulders. I'm like, okay, like there might, it's not that it's like personal to me. I, I just, I'm hyper aware of it while I'm going through the sound journey. Yeah. So yeah. Um, just being aware of that, like my ability to kind of like really tune in with like different people at once. I'm, I can, I can really gauge like the direction. And I really also love like one-on-ones as well because that allows me to like really focus on that one person. But, you know, if it's like a group of like, you know, 15 or like, you know, from like 10 to 15, it's like, all right, there definitely is um, a certain energy that is collected. Because um, I do believe people somehow share energy when we're all together. Like, you know, you come oh, in, sure. you feel a certain way. Maybe, you know, like that sage bundle is going on. <laughs> so, you know, like there's <laughs> the like, there's, Santos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's certain things that are happening and um, you kind of go with that precedent that is set. And then from there you can build. But I really feel like it's such an intuitive thing. Even if I, I come planned with like one certain mantra in my mind, some, sometimes like the energy is just like, no, 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 we're going to go this way instead. I'm like, okay. Let's do well, it. That's, that's like yeah. the, the, the perfect yeah. way to embody the moment, right? Because you're being present. You're not over intellectualizing how you're going to do this. You know, you're you're showing up and in, 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 in the moment and you know delivering what the moment calls. I wanted to ask you this because, um, of course, you're in Kundalini Yoga, and if you actually go online on YouTube, and you can find a lot of different videos on Kundalini awakening, and I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding about what that actually means because it can it can so easily fall into the realm of, you know, the sort of secret type of stuff where you're trying to unlock certain doors in order to manifest wealth kind of shit. (laughs) And I wanted to ask you, like, how do you feel about people deliberately trying to draw this energy from their spine in order to manifest some something? Or do you think that it should happen naturally? You know, this this brings up right away, um, I was... um hired at the last Bhakti Fest that was here in Joshua Tree um, for this company to do a sound bath like throughout the whole time. And um, there was this guy that kept on coming to my sound baths. Um, It was like in this like tent and then people just like show up. Like I'd start playing and there'd be nobody and all of a sudden there's like 50 people lying down. But he like kept on coming back and he looked at me. He said, how do I... I was in India and I was with this guru and he was Indian too. And then he goes... And then I... um, I, I, He opened up this 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 area here how do i recreate that and i said to him i was like that's not my responsibility you focus on your 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 awakening is your responsibility first of all that has nothing to do with me i'm just simply a guide and second of all if you're so hyper focused on this awakening happening one way you um 
dismiss any other types of awakenings from happening. Like there can be all these blessings around you that are occurring and you're so hyper-focused on recreating that one moment. I feel like that um, for me, I think that you're concentrating on the wrong type of energy and see the abundance in all. There was so much to what we're doing right now, but he was so focused and I was like, just let it go. That's his journey. Maybe I'm judgmental. I don't know. <laughs> so um, it doesn't have to happen one way. It's different for all. Some people will have an awakening because they had an, a car accident. Others, right. um, it, it, it simply just happens. Um, some through meditation, but really it comes through sometimes prematurely. Um, which you don't want, um, but I feel like with um, with Kundalini Yoga, it allows your nervous system, like through the breath work, through the mantra, through the practice, the stretching, the asanas, through all of it, the combination of what it, it allows for, it does give you a base to not only um, build your nervous system and mm -hmm. um, to help yourself prepare your, your nervous system to, to prepare for the rising of that consciousness, that rising of that Kundalini energy. But there are also teachers that have never had it and still teach. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. sure you've heard about that. So um, in terms of how the awakening needs to happen and what I've, what I've done with my own life, I was like, I'm going to let go of trying to force an experience and simply live my life because I'm not going to, be 80 one day and wasted my life trying to have a an experience when life is all around me. So I feel like the importance of the presence is is kind of part of it, but I don't know about, you know, those videos that say that they can force or help you through a kundalini awakening. I mean, that's not that's like a really big statement and I can I feel like that's a little dangerous. Um because you give a false sense of like expectations to someone that might not be ready for it. You don't know if they're on antidepressants, if they have, um, you know, a certain amount of like psychosis, if, you know, it, it's like, I just don't think it's, it's a safe place to, to be in yeah. like, and even in an authentic way. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, like I always look at Kundalini, it's like you you will have gone through your own sort of curriculum and work in order to naturally sort of like uh, uh, create that sort of a uh, thing to happen. So when you're sitting there trying to focus and 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 try and force this you know this prana like through your body, like this shakti energy, like it, it's like like you said, it, it's it's not always sunshines and rainbows. It can be like a wrecking ball that just goes through each one of your chakras. And realigns all of the things that all the untruths, all these sort of illusion, and there are some people that just aren't in the place to accept that in like a cohesive sort of grounded way, you know. Right. Yes, and it's also maybe I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's it's right. Maybe someone that's facilitating it might know something that I don't know, but just based on my experience, I, I think it's fair to say that. Um, you know, allow allow life to happen and allow allow the, to allow yourself to see the blessings. And um, I also feel like if you're so hyper focused on the awakening happening one way, you miss those micro awakenings. Because I had so many of those where I just like woke up with like more empathy rather than judgment, or I decided to um, treat someone a lot better than what I would used to because based on what they apparently did to me and then just approach it from a different perspective. So for me, that's an awakening. Um, I, I, one of my favorite examples that I share with my students is we have this one, um, 
move where um, it, it's, I forgot which crew it is, but you put your arms out, the palms are down, the fingers are together, and then you hold here with, I'm um, in a cross-legged position for like, let's say 11 minutes and you just breathe. Right? Eyes closed, focus, third eye. So your arms are out to the side and you just keep your arms to the side, parallel to the ground. So that one move, um, when I first did it for, yeah, 11 minutes um, at Golden Bridge, I don't even remember who the teacher was, but while that was happening, I... I kept on like thinking to myself, like, what the fuck is wrong with her? Is she like psychotic? Why would she make us do this? Blah, blah, blah. Like I was thinking projecting so much shit to her. And then eventually, I think it was like at like minute six, I was like, well, I can just put my arms down. And then I started. And then after that, it became, where do I get this behavior, this need to automatically go to like, what the fuck is wrong with her? for making us do this. Mm -hmm. I did, I paid for this class. I'm here. There's a lesson. Yeah. I could put, I can like just yeah. get the fuck up and leave. So why am I, you know, why am I thinking these terrible things about her? And she's just leading a class. So that, that itself was a huge awakening. It didn't feel mm -hmm. like a certain thing, but I worked through some shit, like yeah. some psychological shit of like judging another person, thinking that they're trying to harm me. And getting into a space of like, you know what? No, she's not wrong. I'm, I'm, I need to work on my shit. <laughs> like, so that was an yeah, awakening. Yeah. It's a micro yeah. awakening, but it's yeah. not like I didn't see the light in the tunnel and like start floating or, you know, levitating or anything. But I, I, ca yeah. I call that an awakening. Yeah. 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 One thing that you like mentioned, and, and that's a really, really good word to segue into is awakening. And awakening means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Like I understand the awakening that you're talking about, but if you go online, social media, for example, and this is one thing that we started our conversation with, is you go on IG and you're seeing story after story of people talking about awakening, mm -hmm. right? A, a type of awakening, whether or not it's driven by spirituality or whether or not it's driven by you know, the collapse of a government. Uh, but it's created this rise in sort of like spiritual narcissism, just like you say, <laughs> because I see it. Yes. I see it. And it's hard because there's this part of you that's probably still based in 3D that feels compelled to be like, no, no, no. Like you're creating division. You're creating polarity. You're choosing a side and assuming that the person on the other side of the fence is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what is it that we can do in order to get ourselves out of this sort of like almost form of neuroses and approach it from like the real sort of authentic awakening that you're talking about? Those mini awakenings, these real meaningful awakenings, like... Because I see that, and I see it, and it, it does speak to a lot of sort of like Messiah complex people telling people what to do, and it's hard to not feel triggered by it. Yeah, I love that we're having this conversation, by the way, because it's so much in alignment with um, all that's come through, and I feel like it's it's definitely a collective energy that's flowing through. And I mean, like we're meant to to speak about this, but yes, that that um, that neuroticism is is so apparent, and I, I feel like what we can do and I, I take it back to even a person like like marianne williamson she 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 um she talks yeah. so much about like a course in miracles it's like am i choosing love in this situation or am i choosing fear and it's as simple as that and um like me coming here um to joshua tree it, it took a lot of like letting go of um just a lot of my my ego and mm -hmm. um kind of my my even like my standards like they've just like completely shifted and in some there are moments where like I'm like talking shit to myself like I mentioned earlier and I'm like 
the heck did I just do with my life? Like sometimes I sometimes I even think like, okay, if I just get it, I can easily get like a job and you know do things from my old way of doing things and make you know fifteen thousand a month and like whatever and just like forget it, like forget all the spiritual bullshit. Like it goes through my head. Stuff like that mm-hmm. does go through my head, and then I have to remember my purpose, and I have to remember that I'm here for a reason, and that things are um, are definitely shifting, and not not just for me, but for everyone collectively. And you know, like the doors apparently open today with the where you know we're doing this interview um, on the 15th in California, where masks are now like oh, okay, well if you're vaccinated, you can go and do whatever you want to do unless the store says otherwise. So there's like, you know, these um, things that are, are just here for a reason. And um, to be a part of that, that shift, it takes, yeah, that spiritual discernment, right? That understanding of like, you're going to hear a million different opinions and there's going to be so many angles. What if like most of them are correct from that person's perspective? Um, but, you know, living in an age where um, discernment isn't, is sometimes even not even an option I've have, um, I have kind of like Insta famous, Twitter famous friends that have been canceled from Instagram, from Twitter, because they had a slightly different opinion about the vaccine. And they're not even anti-vax. They just said something. This vaccine. Yeah. 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 Everybody seems to be very, very sensitive. And I like that you brought up Marion Williamson because I love, you know, Return to Love, Course of Miracles, like it's very, very simple. And, and she says, you know, there's old, there's only two sort of forces in the universe. And actually, one's not even a force. It's just the absence of another, right? So she talks about love being the moderating force and then fear being the absence of love. And the polarity seems so strong right now. And it, it's, it, it seems so simple to just go online and see like, okay, this is obviously love and this is obviously fear. People are choosing a side. Uh, and it's driven by this sort of collapse of things that are happening around. And it's, 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 a, it's easy to fall into this sort of like existential crisis and being like, oh, everything is bad, but this is, uh, I think, awareness in, in source is being like, actually, this is kind of really good because this is sort of like a dark night of the soul experience for people. And it's sort of like that reckoning where God comes and instead of, instead of rearranging your furniture, he just burns the entire thing down so that you can rebuild it again. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we, we go more towards that path, you know, that dark night of the soul happens and then people begin to awaken and and rebuild a much stronger foundation, you know? That's the hope, but also realizing that everyone is on a spiritual journey. So even those that are working on Wall Street that would never listen to this podcast that think in such different ways, it's their own journey. And um, that gives me just kind of like, not not necessarily like a a lazy, like at peace understanding. I mean, I still get irritated and, you know, still have moments where I'm like, what, what are those people doing? I don't understand. Like I can still get judgmental, but for the most part, it, it's just this like understanding that if you were literally in anybody else's shoes, you do and think exactly what they're doing because mm-hmm. it's not, you know, that's not you. So, um, I don't know. I feel like empathy is like a huge part of that as well. Like yeah. choosing love over fear as much as possible, but having empathy and getting to that state where we no longer have to take things personal because for the most part it isn't. And yeah. that's been a journey. And, and, yeah, And it's like, it, it's so easy to kind of like play into this whole utopian society uh, sort of perspective that a lot of people have. 
Now, when I say like awaken, I don't mean that like suddenly we're just going to live in this sort of brave new world where everything is perfect. Yeah. A lot of people believe that though. Uh, but yeah. the one thing that I need to also accept is the fact that these sort of injustices and this sort of shadow may actually always exist. One, because it almost has to, yes. to a certain yes. extent. Like you have to have these people that think differently and you have to have these sort of contrasts that happen because those contrasts are the reason why all three of us probably made our way through this this sort of spiritual path, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. I think it always, always speaks to a lot of what we're talking about, which is balance, not exactly. overly identifying balance on, each side. Yes, balance is so necessary right now. And I also also realizing that, like, let's say our parents, right? They had, they had to live in a very, like, Piscean day of age where they did things for, for others in many ways, did things for pride, and um, based on pride and shame rather than, I guess, like love or fear. But um, our parents had to go through what they went through. And a lot of it now might be considered abusive, not right, um, just culturally unacceptable. Like I had to sit with my mom. I'm like, mom, you need to stop calling people fat. It's not, it's not right. <laughs> you know, like being Filipino, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like our, yeah. our, yeah. our mothers are, are just so judgmental. It's from a different time. Yeah, it's a different time. So. Yeah understanding they did the best they could with the tools they had unless they were on crack but you know my mom was such a great mom and but you know she does have her shortcomings and then when I started to get angry about it I had to take a step back and put myself in her shoes and try to think about what she had to go through so it's like it's not fair for me to be like well you know that was abusive behavior when it really she didn't know so I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot about a lot of the things that we've categorically placed as not necessarily good as probably the best that people could do with the tools they were given. And even as, da as, as far as like someone that has like harmed someone that I love dearly, I try to understand their perspective as much as possible. And it's imperfect. There are moments where like I'm stubborn and don't want to see it and then eventually have to think about it and get past my ego and get past those barriers yeah. like as a you know I do consider myself a healer but I am still a human being so that process it just takes time you know yeah. it takes a lot of time to like find that balance like, it's break, like breaking out of like what is categorically spiritual is really important because it's easy to see somebody that uses curse words or somebody that, you know, calls somebody fat is not spiritual. Yeah. And we can create this whole scenario in our mind of, of where this person needs to fall on that sort of pyramid. They're mm -hmm. bad and they're not good, but you know, you know, your mother and you know that deep down she really loves you, you know? So it takes like a different type of discernment where it's like, you're collectively seeing, like you say, like the oneness and everything, knowing that like they are you and you are them, and the, the fundamental sort of archetypal experiences that people go through are kind of the same. They're just interpreted in different ways, and it makes it so relatable, you know? Like, we all have the capacity for love, we all have the capacity for pain, and people are not really any different. We all experience these things together. So I think, like, looking at it from awareness and, and not seeing, you know, it basically seeing through the words, like seeing through a lot of these things that keep us and prevent us from really connecting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you have shared so many wonderful teachings with us today. Is there anything left that you want to share with our audience? Oh, what's or if there's one kind of lesson that you want to leave behind? 
I know this is a hard question. People always. <laughs> the one thing that comes up, I, I believe it, it's Ram Das or no, no, who said it? It, it must have been either Ram Das or Yogi Bhajan, but it's um, you don't see love in all. You don't see love at all. So that that's Aww. like that's like helped me um, really get to a state of like very like humble, humble, humbling, not only myself, but like really forgiveness for, you know, like getting past that victim state and even looking at someone like, let's say, Harvey Weinstein. Right. Yeah. Like we can all agree that his actions are horrible. But if he were to like say, all right, I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing what I can to empower those that have been sexually abused through the system. I mean, how beautiful would that be, right? Like to take responsibility rather than deny the, um, what you've done to hurt others. Um, so, I mean, that's like a pipe dream, but I, I really feel that, um, you know, our system has done so much to keep others separated. Like, you know, look at the prison system. We say, oh, those criminals over there, so that to me feels like an issue and to really get past that it's to create a space where like prisoners and everyone from every background we can coexist somehow but we spent so much time I guess you can say condemning others rather than allowing them to heal because people are supposed to heal to move on with their lives unless you want to just hold it over their, their head like oh that person's a criminal blah 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 killed this and that like it's like well people fuck up and to get past that can we that's how we heal as a whole and um to me right now that's like that's a really big part of um my journey also bringing back this comes up right now but bringing back the importance of the word god and being safe with it rather than thinking of it as like for me it's like catholic abuse while growing up like um mm. not being safe with the word god i mean how how sad is that? And that sound and that's current that sound vibration as well. Like the word God needs to be something that is felt safe in the hearts of all. But instead, some people when they hear it, they get really upset and it causes them Triggered, pain. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm -hmm, but absolutely. How can we bring the vibration of that word up again? So yeah, that's a little yeah. bit of I guess what I'd have to say. Yeah. So it That's sounds beautiful. like to me. Yeah, I thought that was really beautiful. So what what I heard was working on labeling people and also judgment. I feel like that was kind of the overarching everyone has has an issue with judging themselves and judging others and and putting labels on on other people. And yeah, and, and practicing forgiveness. Yeah, and practicing forgiveness, absolutely. Forgiveness. Because if we know what love feels like and we know what pain feels like, then we must know what they you know, what the potentiality of them healing uh, must be like as well. Because if we have the capacity to heal, so do they. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really beautiful that you mentioned that. And yeah. it, your story is just really, really inspiring because, I mean, one, you're you're basically embodying your entire practice. You're out there in Joshua Tree just living off the grid and you can just, <laughs> you know, you get the sense that like you're you're still actively in your practice. And it's really, really inspiring that we have people that have enough courage to go into and have their sort of Christ in the desert moment. Right. And uh, <laughs> to be really desert. humble and honest about the journey because it isn't, it isn't uh, always the most comfortable, yes. you know, yes. but it's not we learn the most, we learn the most about ourselves when we place ourselves into, you know, like it's like what Osho says, he's like, courage is a love affair with the unknown. And I feel like you, yeah. you, you fully embody that, you know? Thank you for recognizing that. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's been a journey. Um, 
I invite you both to come to Joshua Tree um, for like a weekend or whatnot. I'm doing these sound sound um, sound healings in a cave with um with a nature walk as well. Um, it's cool. through this new company that um, I'm, I'm putting together with my partner. It's called Joshua Tree Alchemy. But we're doing yeah. Even you for for you, Eric. Like we would we're um I, the way I'm building it is to allow for other sound healers to come through. So it's not just like my show. So it's, um, and in, in the way it's built in is through like kind of like tourists um, that want something to do in Joshua Tree. So it's like, hey, take a hike in beautiful um, energy rich land with boulders like Joshua Trees. And then we'll lead you to a cave, a secret cave. And then we'll, we'll oh, sound yeah. bath you. But I'd love to love have that. you as a guest as well. Yeah, I'll we'll bring my sun gong over there. We can play together. <gasps> yes! It'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So, is <laughs> there any cool. anywhere where people can look you up, and um, where do people go to find information on how to get a hold of you, how to how to schedule? Yeah, so it's um, kundaliniSoul.com. That's s o u l dot com, and also um, new account for what I'll be doing in Joshua Tree. It's Joshua Tree underscore Alchemy um, on Instagram. So you can Ooh, that's find a great me. name. Yeah, you're also under you're also under Kundalini underscore Soul, right? That's my um yeah, that's my other Instagram. Yes. Yeah, and she has a lot of different offerings. She does sound alchemist meditation and spiritual teaching. She does Kundalini fire. She does deep meditation, sound alchemy, and journaling. I mean, she's got a lot of different things that she has as far as offerings on her page. She even has a six week course that says the the self guru initiation. The self guru initiation, yes, that one I do through the studio, lovely studio called Jupiter Soundscape, and um, a lot of what I've actually spoke about um, today with you is is covered in in this course, and it, it's about um, realizing the guru within you. Um, rather than finding it through like a person like in in India and whatnot and it worked out really well especially um, when I was teaching it um throughout quarantine because people were stuck at home and and it's like how can I be spiritual if I wanted to like go to Tibet and like meet with like a guru I'm like no no you can actually you know part of the practice is finding the tools in your everyday world and, and working right. through what you need to work through. So it was a very, um, I taught it already twice. I'm going to probably teach it again in, in October. And um, it, it was um, a very powerful course in terms of the empowerment that I saw from my students um, working through their kind of like their self doubt and mm -hmm. um, you know, um, perceived limitations and getting them to a space of like trusting their own intuition. And also in that course, I teach them how to meditate, how to teach a meditation class. Oh, mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's super powerful. Well, I re really, really appreciate your time. It's been like really yeah. amazing sharing space with you. And uh, me and Jen will have to come down there and share space yeah, with you over sure. down there in Joshua Tree. Yeah, yeah you guys have a space. You. you have a space to stay here. It'll be it'll be really fun. Um, I'd love to take you to that cave, and then we can like all sound out. So, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. come sooner than later, or maybe later when it's not so hot. <laughs> maybe yeah. September, but yeah, we'll plan for sure. something for sure. Yeah, okay. we'll we'll, we'll definitely good. stay in touch. Again, thank you so much. You've been uh, a blessing to to speak with, and we hope to talk to you soon. You're on welcome on the podcast anytime. We can talk about probably anything at this point so everyone yes thank mm -hmm. you jen thank you eric this has been <laughs> such you. a pleasure so much in alignment thank you for all that you do very grateful thank you thank you thank all you right. thank you guys uh, thank you thank you so much ramona soriano again you guys can reach her on instagram her web her, her website she provided that as well for all you guys tuning in thank you for 
Thank you for tuning in. If you're watching this on, uh, listen to this on Apple Podcasts, you could actually like and subscribe if you'd like. If you go into the details section, you can find our the video of our episodes on YouTube. If you can, like and subscribe, do all the things. Um, keep connected with us. You can actually reach out to us on uh, Instagram as well, under uh, Divine Nobody's Podcast. And uh, if you guys have any questions, you can reach out to us at divinenobodiespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, other than that, we'll see you guys next time. Namaste, friends. Namaste.